Habits are who we are, and we get to choose every day who that is. What's remarkable about these women is that their habits are changing the world. Hi, and welcome to Habits, the good, the bad, and the holy. I'm Molly, and I'm sitting down every week with adorers of the Blood of Christ Religious Sisters to hear their stories and learn how habits have become more than a symbol for their vocation. They've become the means to which they change lives. Hello, and welcome back. Today, we're here with Sister Joanne Mark. Joanne, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Awesome. Uh, So, you're really interesting to me when I was doing research on your story as an adorer uh, for two reasons, and I'm hoping we'll get to talk about both. The first is that you spent um, a lot of time in Tanzania, mm-hmm. and the second is that you're a liaison, you were a liaison to the United Nations. Before you were a teacher or a sister or a liaison, did you grow up with a big family, a small family? Where did you grow up? I grew up with four brothers. Um, one was older and three were younger. I grew up on a small farm in um, Nebraska, outside of Humphrey, which is a town of about 800. Went there to grade school and high school, Catholic grade school and Catholic high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like being the only girl in a family of five? It was like that was where I belonged. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't compare it to anything well, else. No, no, no. I, I mean, always wanted a sister, but, you know, when I hear, see how other people relate to their sisters, I think, well, I never had that experience. But but my brothers have been very good to me, and, you know, it's 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 very fine. Uh, and were you a tomboy growing up? Were you always playing No, I was not a tomboy. Nope. No, no. Um, my, mother, uh, my mother was the oldest of ten. Whoa. Grew up on the farm, and so she had to do things like milk cows and all that. And she said once, I have only one girl, and I have four boys, and the boys can do that kind of thing. And so I stayed in the house, and I sewed, and I fixed meals, mm-hmm. and I did all those kinds of things. And did you like it? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. I was in 4-H, and I got some good awards, and made yeah. some, I made the wool suit and my prom dress and all that. Wow. So, yeah. You're very handy. I think you're you're good to have around. Well, I don't do much of that anymore. <laughs> but you're still good. You can teach someone. <laughs> so, I'm excited. Let's start with Tanzania because I, I think it was first. Mm-hmm. What did you do in Tanzania? How long were you there? And did you love it? Well, I went to Tanzania to teach English to mm-hmm. our uh, postulants, candidates, and uh, sisters. The official language of Tanzania is Swahili, but the in order to get pass a test to be um, midwife or a physician assistant or a teacher or anything, you have to pass a test in English. Mm-hmm. And our sisters were not passing that test and they wanted to move on to those kinds of services to people so um, you know I was there primarily teaching English to them but then in addition to that um, I also conducted some retreat days some recollection days some and I uh, taught the novices community history so you know how it is when you're someplace and things just kind of evolve and you do you Other provide duties that's right signed. you provide services and i really did love the people uh, the tanzanian people are really very very gentle very kind very nice so so yes it was a very good time for me the only negative i guess you could say would be a little bit the heat but uh, you know it didn't do me in i, I knew it was going to be <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I was close. We were close to the equator, so what do you expect, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, and I had gone prepared with the right kind of clothes and that kind of thing. And in fact, my brother, who one brother who plays golf, he had given me this little fan, uh, battery operated fan that I could wear around my neck. So, like at night, if I was too hot that I couldn't sleep, <laughs> I would turn that little fan on. So, so you know, there are all kinds of ways to do that. And how long were you in Tanzania? Well, actually, it turned out just to be 11 months. It was supposed to be a year. But the other sister that went with me, she had some health issues. And so she felt we needed to come back. And so, you know, I came back at the same time. And when were you in Tanzania? Uh, the 2007. 2007. That was right after I got out of leadership, basically. So what position did you hold on leadership? Well, council members. Yeah. Council. So if you went to Tanzania in 2007, you had... A, f- a full life before then with the adorers. What did you do before you went to Tanzania? Well, like I say, I was in that leadership team that was in office when uh, the three provinces became one. Mm-hmm. So that was an exciting time in our history. Right. Exciting for me. I think it wasn't so exciting for some other people, but, you know. I, we got over it. That's fine. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, and then before that, um, I was at... Um, well, I was one year in the con- set up the consecrated life office in the Archdiocese of uh, Omaha. And what, for those who don't know, what is the consecrated life office? Well, it was really an office uh, designed to try to imp- increase the number of women who went into uh, religious life mm-hmm. or the number of men. But the priesthood had pretty much had their own um, individual, but I worked with him. So, you know, and that was... That was a good year. I enjoyed it. It was a very different kind of work because for the 13 years before that, I was um, academic dean, um, uh, vice president for academic affairs at Brescia University in Owensboro, Kentucky. Wow. And before that, I had that same position here at Newman University. Mm-hmm. So education, higher education has been my primary right. career profession. So what did you teach? Well, I taught math and computer science when I um, my doctorate is in, uh, it's an EDD in higher education mathematics. But then, of course, that was at the time. You know, this goes back because we were using punch cards when I got my graduate degree. But anyway, then when I came to Newman, I helped to get the first computer over there and to put our registration system online and those kinds of things, which that was real interesting, working with the students. One of the students I had actually wrote the program to register people. Wrote the coding program. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, too. So you worked in STEM, science, uh, technology, engineering, and math, way before it had a fancy name, STEM, and way <laughs> before women were really involved in it at all. What was it like, you know, getting degrees and teaching in a field that was so predominantly male? Well, I grew up with four brothers, and so... Oh, it was just like being at home. <laughs> there, was, there was no issue for me whatsoever, <laughs> you know, and I had excellent advisors at Oklahoma State, very, very good, and there was another sister there, uh, Sister of the Blessed Sacrament, and the two of us roomed together, and we, um, you know, we were both getting our degrees in math, and so, well, I don't know, it was a good time for me, you know. You had a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so... Then you came back from Tanzania, and how did you uh, end up being a liaison to the United Nations? Well, you know, to think how exactly how I did, I applied for the position. No, I didn't apply for exactly apply for the position. 
I had been involved with Partnership for Global Justice for many years. And what does Partnership for Global Justice do? They're a non-governmental organization, NGO, mm -hmm. with um, two kinds of status at the UN. A DPI, which is uh, responsible for getting word out about the United Nations, and ECOSOC, which means that your members can come. And at certain meetings, you have a right to speak, and you can send in documentations and have those your thoughts included in documents okay. and, and policies and so on. And so I had been involved in that. And then, of course, when I went to Tanzania, I really wasn't that involved. But the sister who, um, here in um, Wichita, another sister, Sister Mary Ellen Locke, had also been very actively involved. And before I left the, the board, I got her to be chair of the board. And then the partnership came across came upon some financially difficult days. And so they were really, had a divided board as to whether they should continue or not. And that's, periodically, Mary Ellen would talk with me, and so that's how I really got involved. And then when it came to a decision, you know, and they needed somebody in order if they were going to keep it going, I said, well, you know, I'd be interested in doing that. So they hired me. So, uh, and those were... There were three very interesting years. The reason I came back from that, I fell on the ice coming out of church and broke my femur. And I just, the walking, I lived on Long Island and like I had, I parked my car, had to walk, you know, tell how I was trying to do things at this point. I, before I ever went back to the UN, I clocked how many steps with my Fitbit from my brother and sister, about how many steps it was from the parking lot to the train station. Yes. That was a thousand steps. Okay. Then I took the train, which was about an hour ride into Penn Station. Uh -huh. Okay. And I had been walking at some points from Penn Station, but at that point I started to take a bus outside of Penn Station. So yeah. I took one bus, and then I had to um, change buses, so I had to talk across the street and walk down and take another bus. So I had to allow two hours to get to the UN wow. for any kind of a meeting or anything, and two hours, of course, to get home, although the two hours coming home never seemed quite so bad. Because <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and it just got to be too much for me. Mm -hmm. And once you get at the UN, the building is huge, mm. and so even to walk from one meeting to another was a lot of steps, and it just was more than I could really manage. You know? So what years were you at the UN? 2015 to 2018. And how old were you when you were doing that? Well, let's see. I was, <laughs> must have been 75 to 78, I guess, something like that. So a spring chicken. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And what kind of work did you do at the UN? You said, I mean, your face lit up when you were talking about it, so obviously it was really fulfilling work, but what kind of work were you doing there? Well, I didn't, you know, you have to distinguish between actually working at the UN. And, and being a liaison. Yes. yes, yes. You know, so I guess the wonderful thing about it is you know what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And on these critical issues, if you have members or if you want to, you can make some statements and have some impact on mm -hmm. the kind of decisions that are reached. And, uh, you know, part of it was just keeping... We were a member organization, so keeping the members informed and, mm -hmm. and that, and met a lot of really wonderful people, you know, worked a lot with Malloy College, and they were really great. So, you know, I, I miss the people, and I miss some of that interaction with the, with the broader spectrum of the world. 
But you have to accept your limitations at yes. some point and say, you know, this is what I can do at this point. So, so uh, Wichita is a bit of a change of scenery from Long Island. Um, what was it like coming back from a place that is the city that never sleeps, uh, <laughs> coming back to Wichita? Well, uh, you have to understand I was living on Long Island, not in the city. Right. So the Long Island is, is you know, it's not that different. I mean, it's uh, more like a... More like a Columbus, Nebraska, I guess you can say. But I mean, you know, um, so it was, and I had been lived in Wichita for so long, so yeah, that that transition. That was easy peasy. Yeah, that's no problem. So when you were in Long Island, did you live alone? Well, I did because that's how very interesting too about how I got that place where I lived. You know, I was going, and I didn't have a place to live. And of course, we say the Divine Providence prayer all the time. So, mm-hmm. but okay, God, if you want me to go, you have to provide some place. Right. So one of the board members called and said, "You know, I don't why I know I why I didn't think of this before, but there's this house I kind of been watching over because my friend is in Florida, mm-hmm. and she thought she was going to come back, but she fell, and so now she can't come back. And you know, uh, I talked with her, and she said you could live there temporarily. So, so I had a house." On Long Island. Uh, yes. I mean, it wasn't a fancy house, but it was very nice, you know, mm-hmm. plenty of space. And it had what I loved about it the most was this back porch. And then I had this green area um, bordered by trees because on the other side of that was this water catchment. And so, you know, I could sit out there and enjoy the birds and the weather and everything. So I was really very blessed with that. Okay. So a lot of people assume um, that all sisters must live in community. Um like college dorm style. Uh, So can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, obviously you have lived in community for large portions of your life, but the decisions to either live in community or live alone and the, I guess, which one you liked better? I enjoy living in community more, but not necessarily in real large communities. I have not lived in, um, you know, at the center here. Mm-hmm. This is the first time since I was a novice or whatever that I've really lived here. Right. I usually lived in communities that had maybe about five people or something right. like that. Shared houses, yes, shared apartments, yes, things you like know, that. And I, I prefer that um, to this, but as I say, you just... At certain times, you just accept. Um, And now you are, you know, full circle back to teaching in a way. Oh, yeah. So uh, can you talk a little bit about what you do every evening here? (laughs) Well, let me tell you first, I do still go back to Newman. Well, I try to work about 10 hours a week in institutional research. Okay, what kind of research are you doing? Well, you know about how many students and how many females mm-hmm. and how many African-Americans, all that kind of thing. Right. That's the, And all these surveys that come and you have to answer. So I do that. Um, and then, you know, in the evenings, well, during the day, I'm involved in the asylum hospitality or hospitality to the asylum seekers. Right, because here at the Wichita Center, um, y'all host a number of asylum-seeking families That's right. uh, with children ranging from currently six weeks old <laughs> to 11. That's, you got that right. And so, and so we have 10 children and seven adults at this point, you know. Just like a little village. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, 
like with any families, all kinds of things come up, and so have to respond, have to do the best we can. Um, and the most <laughs> unusual thing that happened, I yes. guess, was um, this family. What I didn't know was that they were already on the bus. <laughs> So at four o'clock, we get a call that this um, family of husband, wife, and three children are at the bus depot. Right. So we did go down and pick them up. I mean, you can't can't leave them. (laughs) That's right. So we went down and picked them up. What they didn't tell us was that the mother was eight and a half months pregnant. Right on. And so... um, A day later. (laughs) Yes, right. We welcomed a a new member of the Adorers, a sweet little child. Yes. So that's been the most... I mean, the language has been a big problem. Right, because the families are not all from the same country. There's a lot of different languages. Well, most all of them are from the Congo. There's one family from Angola. Mm -hmm. And most people think they're going to be Spanish-speaking from the middle, uh, mid-America. But that's not true. These are all from Africa. Right. So what language do they speak? Um, Well, we speak to them mostly using the translator in Portuguese. But they speak French, Portuguese, Lingala, and now they're learning English. Right. So they certainly put me to shame with their language knowledge. (laughs) But anyway, they're great people. You know, (laughs) we went down to get that new family. And then little Maria comes and hugs me. (laughs) It's like... Oh, and she melted. Yeah. Resistance. Yeah, so you're back to teaching in a way uh, in the evenings. Well, I don't do... uh, I have other sisters who are tutoring the students. Yes. So I don't actually do any teaching. I mean, you know, I suppose you could say, I mean, they're probably teaching me more than I'm teaching them, actually. What's the, what, what have you learned from these families? Oh, my goodness. How do I even begin? You know, I didn't really know the Wichita public school system that well, and they've been amazingly helpful. Now you're very familiar. So as soon as they come, we take them to Dunbar and get the children evaluated and get them placed in a school. And, of course, then you have to go to the school and take that information. Mm -hmm. And they have to have vaccination, so then we have to go to the the, uh, county health and get their vaccination records. Okay, and so we do all that. And then, you know, just learning... um, what resources are available. We were very fortunate that we belonged to this um, network of people who are engaged with immigrants. Mm -hmm. So many other services. There are a lot of services available in Wichita that I did not know about. And um, uh, the kids eat dinner with you guys every night. Um, So there's, I'm sure, some just, you know, new noises, new... (laughs) Uh, they're very rambunctious. They're very sweet kids. Um, but like you said, there are a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they run around. What do you, I mean, what is that like uh, going from, you know, a, a life where, you know, it's it's a bunch of adult women living together who've known each other for years um, and now welcoming in uh, children again who are so full of just so much rambunctious energy all the time? You know, whether you're teaching or whatever you're doing, Mm -hmm. you're relating to individual persons. Right. And you know, and you see somehow the person before you. Now, I don't think of them, okay, now this is a African-American six-year-old. Right. You know, this is a... This is Maria. Yeah, you know, before me. Mm -hmm. And so, 
Is it is it fun having the families around? Do you guys because you guys now get to go to like school activities and and form the cheer squad to the <laughs> children up there when they're doing um, performances and things like that. Well, it's exciting having them around, but um, you know, since they've come. I fractured my kneecap. Oh my goodness. And so I was out of commission for a while. And so I'm still doing physical therapy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very cautious. I yes. Mean, you know. They're kind of swirling around y'all. Yeah, I mean, you, if I go up there in the evening, sometimes they all come and rug, hug me, you know. And I can't. Now, Greg Locamp, you know, they can all come and hug him and he'll toss them around and all. They're not going to knock him over. And uh, for the <laughs> listeners, who is Greg? He is the person in charge of our physical plant here. Yes. So he manages uh, the Wichita Center, the buildings. And the people and the co-workers. Yes. Yes. yes yeah. Um so you've had this, you know, really wide range of experiences, um, living in New York, living in Wichita, teaching, being an academic dean. Um, what has been the most fulfilling role you've held over your life? I figured you were going to ask something like that. And all I have to say is I have loved everything I've done. Yeah, it's all held a, a, a special season place of your life That's that right. needed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a question we ask all the sisters on the show is about habits, which is, of course, the namesake of the show. What is your best habit? Prayer. You sounded so just like, oh, yeah, prayer. Well, I was trying to figure out whether you meant clothes or whether you meant really my habit. Oh, no, no, no. You're, the daily habits you do, not a vestment. Yeah. Okay. Well, really, it is prayer. You know, my morning time of silence with God and then the liturgy and the Eucharist, mm-hmm. you know, those. And that's what keeps me going. Yeah. And what's your worst habit? Probably sometimes just going to my room and not seeking out others. Um, I do get tired of having people talk about nothing. <laughs> Or tell me the same same story over and over again. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I guess I, I something that I've uh, learned working with the adores um, over my time here is you all know each other so well because you've known each other for so long. So I can imagine that there would be some repetitiveness in conversation. Okay. Can you really imagine that? I could. I could see that potentially. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it takes a real discipline mm. to stay and listen mm-hmm. appreciatively to the same story. Right. You know, but that's part of Christian witness and presence and right. all that, too. I remind myself. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you and hearing your stories. Well, thank you very much for having me, Molly. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. For show notes and behind the scenes, check out our website, adores.org. Habits is brought to you by the Adores of the Blood of Christ, U.S. Region. Co-produced by Cheryl Wittenauer, Lori Benj, and Molly McKinstry. Edited by Molly McKinstry. Thanks. We'll see you all next week.